Hey, this is Daryl Surratt. No, this is not a new episode of Anime World Order. This is just bonus content, which is why it's labeled as such in the feed. Otakon was this past weekend, and since we left on Thursday, which is the day we normally record, we don't actually have an episode for this week. But don't worry, we'll be back to recording episodes this week in an attempt to catch up. We're going to have a full-fledged Otakon report episode, and in fact, we're probably going to have to do a series of convention report episodes one after the other in an attempt to catch up because we put them off for so incredibly long. So look forward to our reports on Anime Festival Orlando as well as Metrocon. They'll probably just be straight-up regular reports since I think the truth might be dead. I will explain that at a later date, but long story short, I think I may have become exactly what I despise so much. Anyway, there were a lot of podcasters present at Otakon. I got to meet Alan Chase from Otaku Generation, and on that note, hey, I won the Otaku Generation Guess the Character in the Envelope contest. How about that? I also got to meet Aaron from the Weekly Anime Review podcast. I didn't really see him a whole lot compared to the other folks, but hey, Aaron, what's going on? wish I could have spent a little more time with you, but oh well. There's always next time, I guess. Additionally, I spent quite a bit of time with Dave Riley and Joel White of Dave and Joel's Fast Karate for the Gentlemen. Those guys are awesome. They just did an episode about Kikider. Go check them out, www.daveandjoel.com. Hey, they need more than the eight listeners they get. Come on, this is where I steal all my jokes from. I also got to meet the Geek Knights guys. I know I'd met Rim before at Kotzcon, but this time I met Scott as well. They had their podcasting equipment with them on site, so I actually recorded an episode of Geek Nights with them, along with Dave, Joel, and Noah from the Ninja Consultant Podcast. I met the people from the Ninja Consultant Podcast as well. In fact, let's play their voicemail right now. Hey, is Darren from the Ninja Consultant Podcast, and I'm calling from the Geek Nights Podcasting Channel at Otakon. And if past experience is anything, you'll probably play this voicemail six months from now, and then kind of respond to it. But yeah, you're recording this anyway. You're probably playing the audio for it before you even listen to the message, right? Yeah, I just thought it would be funny to say. I totally failed the joke. Podcast. 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 Yeah, so if you don't get what that was about, basically Aaron had called and left a voicemail for us. During the Otaku Generation podcast panel at Anime Next, I think it was Anime Next, yeah. And so, to continue what must be a grand trend, she called during the Geek Nights podcasting panel, which was Sunday morning, even though they were sitting right in front of me. Anyway, I'm responding to this much faster than I responded to the other one, because we have to pad for time this week. And actually, it's going to be much, much shorter than it is normally. Oh! Hey, I should probably mention what is in this bonus content for this week for the people who didn't read the feed. Okay, we went to Otakon as press, and you could put in requests for the guests you'd want to interview. I actually had requested to interview Masao Mariyama, but due to some staffing problems, there were no interpreters available to translate for him. So nobody got to interview him at all. Oh well. And in fact, only two people had requested to interview Masao Mariyama at all, so... That's anime press people for you. Anyway, one of the real journalists had bailed out on them, so they ended up having a free spot to interview Nobuteru Yuki, who is character designer from Escaflone and Heat Guy J. Plus, we got to interview Christine Otten, who is an ADV voice actress, and I got to ask her some interesting things that you may not have heard from attending every single other voice actor panel at a convention ever before. So yeah, this is not an actual episode of Anime World Order. Once again, notice there's no Gerald and Clarissa. It's just me, Daryl Surratt. With that in mind, I'm going to play this MP3 feedback we just got, which is, in fact, directly related to why this recording is being made. What do you get when lack of ambition meets lack of quality? A Christopher Reeve standing ovation. 
I've got some good questions Like why do I still rap, why do I still write Oops, nah, don't answer me that But AWO answer me this So why's you waiting so long between episodes I know it's not Daryl Surratt So if it's Clarissa, tell her to pick up the slack And Gerald, you should probably just shave your back No, seriously, man, it's grossing me out And I'm not slow, but my slow read is so I usually preferred English dubs Up until Tennessee Moyle, that was it's a long trip. What are you talking about? Thanks for coming all the way. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting us back again. I said get to work and I mean it. Huh? Eh? There are only eight of us. My name is Washu. There's no one like that with us. Quit wasting my time. Not at all. He called me mom. Oh, babies, babies. Denshi? Yes? I had a baby. Oh, babies, babies, Denshi. Oh, babies, babies, Denshi. Oh, babies, babies. Wow, man, that was totally awesome. Not the Tenchi Muyo part, the rest of it. In his email, this is from EJH, he mentioned that he had left us a review on iTunes, and actually, that's a really good point. We really need some more people to review us on iTunes. Since most of you are listening to us on iTunes, maybe if you give us reviews on iTunes, it'll bump us up a little bit. I don't know. Whatever. It worked pretty well for the podcast pickle prank. We're still in third place. God. Not that it ever did anything for us, but it's still funny to see that you go to Podcast Pickle and four of the top ten are anime podcasts, thus rendering that site completely useless. Anyway, I just wanted to play that one now. We're probably going to have to do another We Answer Emails episode at some point down the road. Sooner rather than later, because it's starting to get out of hand. Again! But for now, let's just go straight to the interview with Christine Auten. The way Otakon worked was that all the American guests had their interview block on Sunday in the morning. And Christine was the only person who showed up. Everyone else was either presumably hungover or were never told that this was the one time during the weekend that they'd be interviewed. So, we ended up doing this interview with about two or three other press group organizations. So as you listen to this, it won't just be Gerald and myself asking questions, but also a few other people. And despite the other people being real press from real websites and things like that, we were the ones asking practically all of the questions. Hello, I'm Christine Otten here at Otakon 2006. All right, we'll start with the standard basic interview question. All right, how did you, Christine Otten, get started in the wonderful and exciting, glamorous world of anime voice acting? Oh my goodness. Well, you think I could just copy and paste with the answer and... I started back in the dark ages, uh, before dubbing was popular, before anyone ever really cared about dubbing, back in 1998. And I was an actor, and I'd already done a couple of movies, commercials, theater, I had a degree in theater, done corporate voiceover for years already. Uh, I was in a theater group with some people who were doing anime. I didn't know what anime was, never heard of it. Amanda Wynn and Brett Weaver, some people might know who they are. They told me about it. I sent in a voice take, a voice demo, to ADD Films, and didn't hear anything at all. <laughs> so I sent in another one about a year later. And then eventually Matt Greenfield called me and asked me to come in and do a couple of small lines. He found my demo tape in the bottom of a file cabinet, actually. And he came in, uh, asked me to come in and do a part in Compiler, white compiler. And then I auditioned for Bubblegum Crisis and got the part of Chris, and I've been doing it ever since. How was it different from doing voice acting as opposed to theatrical work? It's a wonderful thing that we call in the industry ADR, which is dialogue replacement. That's a skill that's extremely difficult to master. And that's to make the flaps match the words, and that's actually very, very difficult to do. You have so many elements to keep in mind at the same time. So you've got your acting, you want to do that well. You've got sight reading, if you want to do that well. You've got microphone placement, and you want to be good with the mic. And there is a skill to that, so that you don't pop your peas, you don't wander off mic. They're very sensitive, so you have to be good with the mic. 
And at the same time, you've got your video, your script, your mic, and you've got to be able to match them all together at once. And so that was extremely challenging. And it took me all of Bubblegum Crisis to learn it. And that was like a year. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really hard. And it's, it's extremely different and challenging from theater or just normal voiceover. Did you find that having a background in theater helped with your voice acting? Absolutely. In fact, it wasn't until very recently, like within the last year or two, that we had voice actors coming through that weren't previously actors. Before then, the talent was all pulled from the acting community professionals who do this for a living and this is what we do we don't just do anime so yeah everybody that I know doing it pretty much everybody came through theater film commercials we all have agents that get us work and that's pretty standard what do you think of the current problems with attempting to get digital rights and also reproduction rights for the various uh, anime the downloads that have been happening. Well, actually, there was a kind of a big deal when when internet got to be such an option for advertising. The Actors Union, SAG, Screen Actors Guild, actually went on strike to protest unlimited usage of actors' voices and images on the internet without any sort of contract or approval from us because it just got so widespread. But are you talking about fan thubs? Yeah, the, the fan thubs, the fan subs, things like that. Uh, do you think that at all cuts into the professional work? Or I do, and I absolutely do not approve of distributing unlicensed material. These people work on it, they work very hard on it, it's their living and they need it. I think fans get to a professional point where they're wanting to sell their own work, they'll see the appreciation of people wanting to pay for it. What do you think is the most essential element necessary for creating a good American localization of a Japanese cartoon? As far as the dubbing side is concerned. Yeah, I have actually strong opinions on this one. <laughs> I do believe that the Japanese cultural references can be brought into a Western viewpoint faithfully and accurately with a bridge in between. There are certain Japanese cultural references that just aren't going, like there are some alliterations that they like to use and visual illusions they like to use that just don't translate. And I've done some writing and you try, man, you really try and it's very difficult to translate. And then you've got the added challenge of having to fit the flaps which the fans really want it to do now. They're not going to let slide a bad mismatch dub. So it's a real challenge, but I think that it's worth the challenge to try to faithfully represent what's happening in the Japanese script as accurately as possible. There's also a kind of a funny thing that happens. Japanese repeat names, character names, when they talk to each other over and over and over again. And I think to a Western ear, that might start to sound a little bit repetitive and redundant. So there are things that we can change to make it a little more accessible to Western ears, but at the same time, I do believe that it needs to keep intact as much as possible. That's an interesting thought you had, because one of your projects is actually rather infamous ghost stories, oh, yeah. which yeah. does not seem to adhere to any of those guidelines which you put no, forth. Could you tell us about that one? Ghost stories is a very special section of anime, because the creators, the people who made ghost stories, told us to change it. It was their choice. They said, do whatever you want with it, just so it sells. So that was permission given by the licensors. In fact, not just permission, it was, here this is, see what you can do with it. So it was one of those special projects where they wanted it to sell. They wanted to do anything possible to make it sell to Western audiences. And they said, the crazier the better. So yeah, it was actually given permission to do that. So that's a special case. Plus, it was a D title in Japan that didn't sell at all. No one cared about it. They just wanted money, I think. They just wanted it to sell. Do you think that Japanese and American anime should run in sync with each other? Should the same episodes appear in Japan also appear in, in America as well? You mean simultaneously? No, as in there should be no cut episodes. If there's a filler episode in Japan, there should be one in America too. I think too. so. I mean, wouldn't that be fun? I mean, to have all of it? I think so. I think if it's part of the series, it should be part. But again, that has to do with licensing and what they license. But yeah, I think, it, I think if it's done in the Japanese, it should be done here too. Especially if you're a fan of the show, you probably think so. Have you ever had good work ruined by a bad edit or a bad editor? You know what? Movies and acting that I've done in movies, absolutely. But I tell you, the engineers that we work with over at ADV and Funimation are 
gods. If anything, they saved everything. <laughs> I mean, there's a line that's three flaps over. Shrink it. And it's because of them that dubbing has gotten so good. It's because of our engineers. They are just incredible. They're just absolutely incredible. I just want to ask about a particular project that you worked on, or a battle or Dunbine. The dub was handled by Carl Masek, who is infamous among anime fandom ever since Robotech and Stream One Pictures. How was Carl's approach to anime dubbing? How did that differ from, say, the other ADR directors you've worked with in the past? Carl is old school, very old school. And actually, we recorded ADV a little differently than everybody else does. You've heard of the infamous beeps. What that is, is they cue in exactly when the vocal's supposed to start. Then they back up a segment of time to give you three beeps. You get beep, 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 and on the what would be the fourth, you start. At ADV, we don't do that. We do visual. We watch it. Been doing it as long as people like me and Monica have. You know when it's about to start. You don't, you're never going to behind anyway. And it can be moved even if you are. Carl, even though he was recording at ADV, still used the beeps. But they use them at Funimation too, so either way works just as well. And he just happened to use the beat way. His scripts were in a different format. He was really into the technical aspects of word sounds more than the acting aspects of the characters. I think I can, yeah, he was really meticulous about syncing and how it fit with the mouth flaps. He was very meticulous about that. That's pretty much the only difference. And we called him Uncle Carl. We call him Uncle Carl as well. <laughs> and I worked with him for a scratch track of Lady Death, and I've done a lot of stuff with Carl, so I've worked with him a lot. One of your not exactly traditional anime roles, Barbara Fukan from the Fukans, <laughs> uh, I was wondering, how did you prepare for that particular role instead of a, a traditional anime like you were in Lady Death? You know, it's funny because those the two you mentioned, Lady Death and the Fukon family, are two parts that I actually had a chance to prepare for. Most of the time you get cast in something, unless you're given the title and the character and you can do your own research, you know nothing. You don't know anything about it. You don't see scripts, you don't see video, you don't see anything, unless you can look it up yourself, and a lot of times we can. But for Fukon Family and Lady Death, I had well-advanced notice. I'd seen most of Fukon Family before I ever auditioned for it and during the audition for it. The weird part was that we had a room full of Japanese men, the director and the engineer, and then the three of us actors who were doing the parents and the son, all in three different booths in the same studio. And I was the first one to record anything on Fukon Family. We had no beeps, no soundtrack, no anything. I just had a script on a piece of paper and a video. I was like, okay, every time you see your mannequin talk, and that was pretty much it. And it goes so fast. He's like, well, you know, so the first time through, you're like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no, there's she. Oh, oh gosh. Where, oh, where is she? Oh. But we did one person at a time. We were all three there and listening on our headphones and in the booth, but we didn't do it interactive. We recorded all of me and then all of Rob Mungle and then all of Kira. And it was really kind of weird, but because there's no flaps to match, you could just go crazy. And they would re-edit the video if we went a little long or something, so we didn't really even have to worry about about matching that. So you could just go wild and do anything you wanted. So yeah, that was fun. It was a lot of fun. You mentioned you also were able to do preparation work prior to recording for Lady Death. Yeah. Could you tell us about that? Actually, about a year before it was ever recorded, we did a scratch track, which is they just had about four actors sit around in a circle with microphones, more Japanese style, I guess, and record I did all the female parts and a couple men split up all the male parts. And what we did is just read through the entire script, acted it out, having never seen it before, by the way, or anything. We, we got some character pictures and some sketches to see what our characters look like. We recorded the entire script and then they took that script and that's what they animated to. They took that recording and animated to that recording. And then about a year later they had auditions again to actually do the real voices for it. And I guess about 40 or 50 people auditioned for Lady Death, and Andy, who was directing the project, he said he'd just gotten so used to hearing my voice in the scratch track that when I auditioned, he just couldn't hear anybody else doing it. So whether my audition was good or not, I don't know, but they'd just gotten so used to hearing me. But when I got up for the audition, it's like, I already know all these lines. I've already seen it. I've already done it. So it was, I'd already knew everything there was to know about it. So I had a big advantage over everyone else auditioning for it. 
Mm. You think you have to know bubblegum prices, you know, your first. Yeah. What do you say your, was your most difficult job that you've had to do? Bubblegum, because it was the first. And the learning curve was like Mount Everest, and it was so hard. And then there was the singing. The songs weren't translated in any singable form, so me and the engineer had to rewrite them to actually fit because the translations for some reason were just massively long and nothing fit into the the music at all and so we had to rewrite everything yeah it was hard that was to date the hardest i think i've ever had to do and now i'd love to go back and redo it because i'm so much better at it now but yeah whatever <laughs> saint Seiya was kind of an unusual project in america in that it was actually dubbed once by one company for television and then it was dubbed again by you guys. I was wondering if you ever actually got to see that television dub or... I did not and I'm so, I'm so infrequently in the one that we did that I don't even have all the volumes of it so I kind of come in and come in but toward the end I'm in it a little bit more but no I never saw the TV dub at all but I do like the one we did. I like it quite a bit. Anime fans are pretty well known for having a certain amount of cult zeal. Yeah. Where's your line? I'm sorry. All right, now back off. That's enough. Yeah, I'm I was joking with Monica. I don't have that kind of draw. No? No, I really don't. She does, of course. So I, um, nobody's ever close to crossing the line yet. I, did have, I do have a lot of weird emails where people are wanting to send me things that I don't think are necessarily appropriate. And so I'll send them the ADV and see what they do with them. And <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's it. I mean... I'm a real kind of private person, but I'll answer any question if it's not too weird. I'm, the only question I wouldn't answer on an email was my political affiliation, because I don't think that's important. If it's any consolation, when I mentioned I was going to be interviewing you just prior to this, someone said, ask her if she'll marry me. <laughs> <laughs> Even though she's kind of scary. No, no. Kind of scary. Well, I've been married for 10 years. I have a husband. And I don't think he wants me marrying anybody else. <laughs> he thinks I'm scary. He must have seen Milk Chan. <laughs> tell us about Milk Chan. Please tell us. We're working with Stephen Foster. Yeah, I love Stephen. Stephen is just a doll. And we had a lot of fun doing Milk Chan. And Milk Chan was another one of those where you get to do... The disc has three different versions. It has a subtitle version. It has a dubbed version that is very faithful to the Japanese. And then it has a... A slightly different one that's a, a little more fun. But in, I don't know if you've anybody ever seen Milk Chain. It has these really bizarre video inserts that, yeah. oh my gosh, the strangest things I've ever seen. For the straight translation dub, we redubbed the video inserts too, and I got to do a, a couple of those as well. But for the strictly westernized version, we did a Curb Your Enthusiasm style behind the scenes video storyline that goes through all four volumes that takes us from recording to Akon. And we get up the last volume, we're on a bus going to Akon. It was just so much fun. It was so much fun. And Steven needed somebody to be the director because he just wouldn't be on camera. And so I'm like, oh, I'll do it, I'll do it. And he's got Lucy as the production manager. So a few of us played parts and the rest of everybody else played themselves, but I'm not really that mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Just a final question, if I may. Is there any like particular character or project that you really want to be a part of? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of with really the. I'm kind of with the other guys. I don't watch that. I don't because you don't want to get attached to something and not get it. At the same time, if you don't get it, you don't want it to be ruined for yourself. You still want to be able to enjoy it. So I just don't even look at it until it comes up. So. I guess if you have any final closing comments. Uh, Let's hear him. I just have so many favorite anime that I'd like to talk about, like Azumagadayo. I like Razafon, I like Orphan, and I just had so much fun at Otakon talking with people about these anime that I did five or six years ago that I'd completely forgotten about and didn't know anybody else watched, you know, and that's the kind of the neat thing about this. It's like, oh, you watched Orphan too? You like that? Oh, great. And, you know, just finding people who, it's just such an amazing thing that, that if you like something, there were other people who like it too. And you can find somewhere somebody who likes that stuff. And just so we're clear, the person who had the marriage request was, in fact, Fast Karate for the Gentleman's Own, Dave Riley. We were lucky with the Christine Auten interview because it was conducted in the VIP room, which was relatively quiet. 
we were not nearly as lucky when it came time to do the interview with Nobuteru Yuki. They put us in this room that I guess multiple Japanese guest interviews were being conducted in at the same time. And this room was next to a video room and a hallway. And so what I'm trying to say is that the recording audio in this kind of sucks. Especially since I'm doing it with the portable recorder. And since I had to amplify the audio by about... 25 dB just so anything would be picked up. You can hear every single little adjustment that I make with my hand with the microphone recorder, so bear with it, folks. What I decided to do with this was keep Nobuteru Yuki's responses pretty much unedited because he speaks Japanese and I have no idea how to edit him except when he was just not saying anything. So other than silence and him just thinking about what to say next, it's pretty much exactly what he said, no editing for clarity or anything. So most of the next 20 minutes are going to be just him speaking Japanese, and if you don't speak Japanese like I don't speak Japanese, you can probably fast forward to the parts where the interpreter translates for him in English. If this interview sucks, bear in mind this is my very first real interview I've ever done. So here we go. Well, here we are with Nobuteri Yuki. I'm Daryl Surratt from Anime World Order. And I'm Gerald Rathkold. Now, if we may begin at the beginning, how did you get started in the anime industry? Animation ni haitta kikkake ti yu no wa. Kikkake. まあ、それでまあ、1回あの普通の普通の仕事にね、あの、コンビニにまあ、なったんですよ。はい。その時に、ファンカツをして出会ったアニメーターがいて、まあ、そのアニメーターがまあ、まあ、アドバイスをくれ
since everything that's being produced these days is done on film, everything's finished in film, a lot of the artwork that is made along the way gets thrown out. And so what I've gone ahead and done is I uh, collected them and put them into a book of sketches and artwork and produced them as a donjinshi now. You mentioned being a fan before becoming a professional. As a personal question, could you tell us maybe some of the titles that you were a fan of and whether or not any of those might have had any influence in your art style? just like all the fans out there, I mean, I love animation and manga, and so essentially whatever I saw, I do love. One of the works that you worked on was Megazone 2-3. What did you do in the show, to, and what capacity did you have in the production? そう、デザイナーですかそれともデザイナーですかそれともデザイナーですかそれともデザイナーですかそれともデザイナーですかそれともデザイナーですかそれともデザイナーですかそれともデザイナーですかそれともデザイナーですかそれともデザイナーですか
僕の見たやっぱりその作品のイメージは大事にしたい In doing so, I understand that it's not going to be possible to please 100% of the fans. Each person has a different impression of the character in the work. But I do hope that the majority of the people actually like it and will continue to support the work, even if it's a little bit away from the original. You seem to have a distinctive style in your character designs, especially with newer works such as Escaflone and such. But when you look back on some of your older work that you did, like Skevandeka, and Record of the Lotus War, the style was distinctly different. Do you feel that you've now been able to create works that are now closer to your personal style of character designs? Or back then were you more or less following the designs of the previously created work? ちょうあの、ゆきさんの独特なね、キャラクターデザインがあるんですけれども、なんか昔を見ててそのスケバンデカとかロードスタイガーセンとか見てて、あの、結構みんな似たり寄ったりで、最近のものはなんかゆきさ
as an amateur, you might go ahead and read the comic and essentially almost trace and try to draw the same thing. But as a pro, that's not what you do. I mean, it's something that's internally thought of and then brought out into your design. So it's not a particular characteristic, but it's just an internal image that comes out. You've done work for video games as well as animation, such as Chrono Cross and I guess in Japan they would call it Seiken Densets. What differences, if any, go into doing video game design work as opposed to animation? Game soft もいろいろとね、クロノクロスなりあの戦伝説とか作ってるんですけれど、アニメーションとの違いは何でしょうか。アニメーションとの一番の違いは、アニメーションっていうのはやっぱり要はアニメーターとしての僕の要は僕のフィールドなわけ。だから非常にそのまあアニメーションはすごく多くの人が関わるけど、僕はやっぱりその。まあ、日本でいう作画監督っていう呼ばれてるそのなんていうかな要はキーアニメーターをまあ統括するディレクターだよねうんだからそれ以上の僕はなんか大概そのまあディレクションをするわけでうんまあ色カラーに口出したりまあ背景に口出したりとかだからかなりあのアニメーションにおいてはそのかなりのディレクションをすることになるんだけど、あのー、やっぱりゲームっていうのは全くそのゲームの会社っていうそのチームがあってそのチームに対してやっぱりその自分が作ったデザインもしくはそのチームが作ったデザインを自分でイラストレーションするとかその何て言うのかな本当にあの全く別の,別のアーティスト集団がいてそれとコラボレートするっていう感じかな、うん、だからアニメーションの場合は僕がそのチームチーム自体をその統括しているっていうまあある種その監督監督ディレクターとかとの,そのチームの中でのコラボレーションがあるんだけどあの全くその別のアーティスト集団The number one difference between the animation and the, the gaming industry is that in the animation world, I mean, that's my field, that's my world. I usually end up directing the key animators. I have a say in colors and backgrounds and pretty much all aspects of it. But when it comes to the video games, I'm essentially working for a video gaming company, right? And it could differ from illustrating my own designs to there might be a separate team within the company and I might be asked to illustrate their designs or sometimes just end up collaborating with a different team there. Whereas the animation, it's usually my team that I'm working with and directing. So that's the key difference. You touched on this already, but what sort of influence on a show as a whole do you have as a character designer as opposed to, say, the animation director such as you are now? Character designer to, and the director of the animation director. あの両方やってる時とどれぐらい作品に対する影響力が違うかもちろんそれはその、えー、とアニメーションディレクターも、えー、やってる時の方がその作品の隅々まで影響を及ぼすことができるもちろんそれはあのやっぱりその自分がディレクションまでをやるっていうケースだと、まあ、さっきも言ったようにいろいろな要はカラーカラーにしてもバックグラウンドにしてもあの。要はスタッフスタッフのなんていうかなえっ、ー、と要は人選人選ってわかる人を選ぶ、うん、要はそういうところから自分の意見を言うことができるしだからそういうカラーとかにしても自分の信頼するそのカラーアーティストにそのお願いすることもあるし、うんまあ、やっぱりそのデザインオンリーだとどうしてもその。ある会社からそのデザインだけを頼まれたそういうふうにじゃあ僕はそのデザイナーとしてその頼まれた仕事をまあじゃあ頼まれた中で 100% っ
を目指すっていう、まあ、違いかな。Well, as director, obviously, I get to have a say in all aspects of the work. And like I mentioned, it might be just coloring or choosing the background of a particular scene, all the way to being part of HR and picking and choosing people I want to work with. So I might bring in someone, a colorist that I have previously worked with, had experience with, and I know and I trust their sense of style. So I get to, I mean, just pick and choose the people that I work with. But when it comes to the character design, It's basically whatever company that comes to me and asks me to draw something, and I can only essentially draw the character and fulfill my obligation to the 100%. But beyond that, of what they do with it, really is you know, up to them. It's very limiting in that respect. This is kind of a silly question, but a lot of fans in America often know that the definitive trait of a Nobutera Yuki character design is the very prominent noses. On your characters. <laughs> If you could give some comments on that as to why it seems that the Nobutera Yuki character design would have prominent noses, and most other anime characters do not seem to feature that quite as much, is that a personal trait of yours? Something you enjoy? American fans are looking at Yuki's character, and they are looking at the big one. それは特に理由はあるんでしょうかって多分やっぱりほらその僕がその高い花を描いたっていうのはあの結構エスカフローネからだと思うんだけど、まあ、それはあのやっぱりあのなんだろう、まあ、昨日の,そのパネルでも言ったけど、まあ、あれのコンセプト自体がその要は少女漫画とロボット少女漫画とロボットっていうコンセプトで。やっぱりあの当,当時あのその企画,企画の頃に流行っていたその少女漫画っていうのは結構その鼻の高い少女漫画が多くてそれでなんていうのかなあの、まあ、複雑になっちゃうんだけどあのあのアニメーションがだから好きなこっちのねあの人たちの,あの好きな少女漫画とかっていうのとその日本の。えー、と普通の女の子アニメとかが特に好きじゃない普通の女の子とかの読む少女漫画って違うのよだからそのむしろ僕がだからあの目指したのはあのすごく特徴的な絵で描くあのその普通の少女漫画日本でいう最もポピュラーな少女漫画だねそっちの方がだからそのスタイルをむしろ僕はなんか入れようとしてたのね、だからそ,れそのチャレンジでああいう形になったんだけどあのー、まあなんだろうな鼻自体がね大きいって言われるのはねまあ確かに僕の癖ではあると思う<笑>だからなんかねそれは前,前にもね言われた記憶があるんだうんあのー、エスカフローネじゃない時にもやっぱりなんかあのなんか So, probably the American fans started noticing it with Escaflones, probably when they first thought about that. And as I said in my panel yesterday, the concept of that came originally from the shoujo mangas, the concept between the shoujo mangas and the robots. Back then, big noses, large noses, was kind of like the fad, the in thing. But it's actually a little bit different in the fact that people who like animation, the type of shoujo manga that they read is actually quite different from what normal Japanese young girls read. The type of shoujo mangas that they read is actually quite different. And so, what I was trying to accomplish was drawing for the normal Japanese girls who are reading these shoujo mangas. Maybe it might be a habit, looking back, yeah, I think the large noses might be a habit of mine. Come to think of it, I think someone else pointed that out to me before. Yeah, your noses are actually quite large, aren't they? And why do you do that? So, yeah, at the end of it, maybe it is my habit, my, my trait. And finally, since we're running slightly late, do you have a message for your fans here in America? That you'd like to communicate to them. Mm. 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 
小林修監督っていうすごく特徴的なエキセントリックな監督とのなんか、えー、仕事だったので、まあ、非常に僕としても苦労した仕事なんだけどまたその今までと違ったスタイルのまた勇気の点にはなってると思うのでそれを、えー、ぜひ見てほしいなと思います。Last year in Japan, my latest work, Paradise Kiss, was televised. They're actually going to be starting DVD sales of that here in the United States very soon. It is directed by a very eccentric, different director by the name of Osamu Kobayashi. It was a very hard job on my part and、uh, actually produced a different style of Nobuteru Yuki. But I would like to have the fans take a look at that and support my work. Nobuteru Yuki, thank you very much for your time. If you'd like to see some more recent works by Nobuteru Yuki, we recommend Noine and Mushishi. Thank you very much. And there you have it. You don't want to know how many hours it took me to get it in even that listenable a condition. Anyway, I guess that's pretty much it for the bonus edition of not really Anime World Order, but it's just something to listen to. I also recorded the full audio to a lot of panels, or at least the audio to the panels when I would show up. I've been doing this at conventions since I'd go, but I just haven't really been doing anything with them. Maybe I should be posting these things. But oh well, I have important things to be posting instead, such as this, which I have been meaning to put into the show since April. <laughs> Creators of Bible Black series, the best selling SM Hentai and MA series ever, are proud to give you discipline. A sex filled dreamy story of campus life, where the gals are slutty and the scene is full cock busting. Original story with a plot that can harden the limpest. See a variety of sex scenes from raunchy, passionate, humorous to romantic. Dot and roll, our hero is drowning in sex. All the sexy girls with huge tits are after his manhood. And who can blame them? It's a throbbing monster that keeps growing when inside a girl's mouth and pussy. It can come again and again for God knows how many times. Superb animation quality and great character designs. The animation is so lifelike that you'd want to literally fuck the girls and touch them yourself. At St. Alcadia, you'll see lots of cosplays from pink nurses, bondage to all kinds of sexy outfits for all types of taste that can rival any high fashion runways or strip toys. Talk about works of art that can make you laugh and c o m e View original pencil sketches and see how our talented artists develop each character and frame to fulfill your fantasies. Watch sexy disciplined gals caress their tits and hips and fuck like wild animals. Check out their watering holes and get disciplined. I was considering throwing in the 20 minute voicemail that Walter Amos had sent us, but I think we're going to save that for an actual show because I want to discuss that with as many people as I can. So, it's probably best for all involved if I just end this recording right here. Join us again next week when we actually have an episode out where I will be discussing karate and robots. And、Gerald will just be discussing robots, or not really robots. And Clarissa will be discussing gay boys and cake. Whatever. In the meantime, some stuff I suggest you check out Barefoot Gen, just came out on DVD yesterday, along with Volume 6 of the new Tetsujin 28 series from the creator of Giant Robo. Supposedly, the final part of Votoms also came out Tuesday, but I sure haven't gotten anything in the mail yet. Someone let me know about that. And also, a couple weeks ago, the original Area 88 OAVs were released on a DVD, which I also recommend. They did edit it slightly. They took the first two OAVs and edited them together to make one feature length sort of thing, but don't go blaming ADV for that, since I believe the Japanese DVD release of it did the same thing. They also actually cut a few short bits from. One of Mick's Vietnam flashbacks. I don't know, it's the Japanese for you. Alright, l that's the end, really, this time.